Who was your favorite teacher? The thing is, teachers are one of the most influential people in a child's life, and most people can remember a teacher who made them feel great about themselves, made them feel smart and capable, or whose impact truly changed their life. Well, these are the stories that Dr. Julie Hassan collects. And in this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with Dr. Hassan about the themes she's discovered through these stories, which also happens to be the theme of her website, Chalk and Chances, as well as her books, Unmapped Potential, Safe Seen and Stretched in the Classroom, and her very latest publication, Pause, Ponder and Persist in the Classroom. Get out the tissues because this conversation got me feeling all the feels. And after the episode, be sure you check out Break Time. This is the monthly Empowered Educator subscription that gives you access to an incredible video library of self-regulation strategies, as well as monthly group coaching calls with me and other amazing Empowered Educators. Head on over to EmpoweredEducator.com slash resources. Remember all the passion and vision you had when you first went into teaching? Feeling like building young minds and creating community through your work would make a lasting impact on this world? Well, those days may feel like they're behind you now because you're exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed and frustrated, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be like this. In fact, the love of teaching never really went away, but it absolutely needs transformation. Welcome to the Take Notes Podcast. I'm Jen Rafferty, former music teacher mom of two, and certified emotional intelligence practitioner. And I'm here to light the way for you. In order to create a generational change for our kids, we need to shift the paradigm away from the perpetual stress and overwhelm and into a life of joy and fulfillment. This is Education 2.0, where you become the priority, shift how you live your life, and how you show up both at work and at home. So take a sip of steamy morning coffee and grab your notebook. It's time to take notes. Hello, and welcome back to Take Notes. I cannot wait to start this conversation with this very special person today. This is Dr. Julie Schmidt-Hassan, and she is a professor in leadership and school administration at Appalachian State University. She's a former teacher and a principal, and now she teaches graduate courses in school leadership, and conducts qualitative research in schools. Julie's research on long-term teacher impact and classroom culture is the foundation of her books, professional development programs, and her TEDx talk. And her latest book, Safe Seen and Stretched in the Classroom, The Remarkable Ways Teachers Shape Students' Lives, was published in November 2021. Julie is a third-generation educator and the proud mother of a teacher. Welcome, Julie. Hey, Jen. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Thank you so much for your time and your talents. And I just can't wait to get into it with you, especially as someone who is also super nerdy about qualitative research. (laughs) Yeah, cool. I can't wait to dive in. So before we start to get to really the juicy stuff, I want to know about your story and your journey of what really led you to Chalk and Chances. It always goes back to Mrs. Russell, my first grade teacher. So I was a struggling reader. I turned out to be a dyslexic kid, super anxious, did not want to go to first grade. I really wanted to just stay in kindergarten forever and ever. But lucky for me, I ended up in Nancy Russell's first grade classroom. And she was, gosh, like an angel, still is so patient and persistent. And she used this creative multi-sensory approach. And I learned to love reading, 
got more confident, loved everything about school. So in 2012, I should say I became a teacher, first, second grade, just like Mrs. Russell. In 2012, I became a principal. Mrs. Russell was on my faculty. Oh, the privilege of my professional life. So I got to spend a few years watching Mrs. Russell teach again and just amazed, like a master. And it really reminded me of what she did for me. And I would go in her classroom and I would sit on the carpet next to her students. And I, I just wanted to say, you're so lucky because <laughs> someday you'll know how lucky you are. So in 2015, I left my principal job to start an ed leadership program at my undergrad alma mater, Florida Southern College. And that same year, Mrs. Russell retired from teaching. So we went out together and my mentor said, all right, your job is not just to teach grad courses is also to do research. So you need a focus. What do you really want to know? And all I could think is, I really want to know what is it that teachers like Mrs. Russell do that make this lasting impact on our lives? Because I thought if we know it, we can replicate it. Like we can start to use teachers like Ms. Russell as models. So I set out to ask teachers about their impact which was a terrible research design because we don't know. <laughs> Unless a student comes back to us, writes us a letter, we have no idea the impact we make or the things our students carry. I had to talk to former students, not hard to find, right? They're everywhere. So I worked with this mentor and we created this kind of strange design. I got a sign from Office Depot that said, let's chat about a teacher you remember, really shortened like consent form without any jargon in it and started to go to flea markets, farmers markets, craft fairs, public parks, stick this yard sign in the ground, and people would line up to tell me about their teachers. So at first, it was going to be an article, you know, like we have to do academia. And a friend who was a teacher said, you need to share these on a blog because teachers need some affirmation. Like they need to know what it is they're doing and how much it matters. So that became the Chalk and Chances blog because I thought, what did Miss Russell use to impact my life? You know, it was the 70s then, so it was a lot of chalk, a lot of chances. And so that became a blog. And then it just grew from there to so much more than a blog. And I tell people that $25 yard sign is the best $25 I ever spent because it's changed my life, how I look at the world, how connected I feel to other educators. So that's my story, Jen. Mm. And I'm sitting here tearing up <laughs> listening to you talk because teachers go into this because of that impact. We want to change the world. We want to lighten up the road of possibility for the kids that come into our classrooms. And recently, the climate has led us so far away from that. And so just hearing this story of how you got started reminds me and it makes it so vivid that yes, of course we make a difference. Of course there's impact. And I am so interested to know what is it? What is the answer? What came of the research? What was it that Ms. Russell had that we could replicate? Is it something we can replicate? It really is. And it's so different in different contexts, depending on our own teaching styles, personalities, preferences, the age of the students we teach, the content we teach, it looks different, but the essence is the same. So we qualitative researchers like to take all of our data, lay it out, start to look for codes and common themes. And over and over again, in all of these 
very detailed stories of small moments in the classroom, people talked about the way they felt. And it came into three different categories. They talked about feeling safe. And for some kids, especially kids who had experienced trauma or who were struggling with identity, that feeling safe was really important. Some former students talked about feeling seen. So a teacher recognized their strengths, uh, related to them in a way that made them feel accepted and celebrated. And then there were people who talked about feeling stretched. So a teacher saw potential in them and pushed them toward that potential. And I think if we go into our classrooms with the intention of helping kids feel safe, seen, and stretched, that will influence our actions and interactions. And we will be much more likely to make that kind of impact. That makes complete sense. (laughs) And what's so beautiful about this, it's like something that inherently we know and seeing it in the research is so affirming and then can lead us in new directions of the how, how do we do that? And this is so similar to your work. It has to be attention and intention that we have to be. I love that you said that. Can you talk more about that, please? You have to be fully present where you are in front of your kids paying attention to them because that's when you recognize needs or bids for connection or moments of opportunity for impact. And then you have to have an intention to respond to that in some way and make that impact, which sounds so simple, but it's not easy because there's so much noise and there's so many demands on us that we can get lost in all of that and forget to notice the people in front of us. Sure. Well, because when we are feeling that overwhelm and frustration, we actually can't see the people that are in front of us. It's just part of the side effects of having that stress and that overload of cortisol is is we can't actually see what's in front of you. So, you know, when you go in and you talk with teachers and you do workshops and you you go ahead and and talk one-on-one and teachers are sharing their stories of some of the obstacles that are preventing them from doing just that, it's intention and attention. What kind of things do you have to share about navigating that? For me, the first few years of my research were about what does this look like? Taking that abstract notion of teacher impact and making it more concrete, saying, here's what it looks like in the classroom. There were so many detailed stories. It's surprising how clear people's memories are of small moments in the classroom. So safe, seen, and stretched was really, to me, this is what it looks like. But there was something else in the data. And I'll share like one story with you that really made me have to think on this long and hard. It was a man named Marcus who I met working in a food bank. So, you know, we were putting the peanut butter in boxes and we start to talk like you do with people when you're doing kind of a mindless task. And he talks about his work as a marketing director. And I talked about my research and he said, I need to tell you about my high school home ec teacher, Mrs. Pope. The beautiful thing about my work is when people hear about it, they always have a story. So gladly accepted his story. And he said he loved home ec because they cooked on Fridays. And this particular Friday, they were making chocolate chip cookies. When they cooled, Mrs. Pope said, you can eat one. He knew she had seen him put three more in his pocket when she asked him to stay after class. So I think like as a teacher, all the emotions in that, when you've given a clear direction and a kid knowingly doesn't follow that direction and you feel frustrated or disrespected and you make up all these narratives in your head about the kid's intentions or character and and all of your own stuff. So I thought, okay, 
Is she going to write him a referral, exclude him from cooking, lecture? She didn't. She asked a question. She said, Marcus, are you hungry? And he was. There was no food at home. Dad had left a couple months ago. Mom wasn't doing well. Then she noticed he had stains on his shirt, realized he had no electricity at home. So she started letting him come in and wash his clothes in the home ec room during school. She and her church ladies would bring like bags of food for him and change the trajectory of his life. He said those women were the only reason I ate most nights in high school. My clothes were washed more times than I can count in that home ec room. And I thought there's something there about impact coming, not in a welcome, beautiful moment, but in the middle of a challenge or problem. And I thought about, okay, if we break it down, what did Mrs. Pope do? Like first she paused, got a hold of her own frustration, unwanted emotion, either stopped the reaction with a couple deep breaths, I'm sure, like you teach, Jed. Then she pondered, she questioned her own narrative, and then she asked him questions and then persisted with him. So the next book coming out in spring is Pause, Ponder, and Persist, which is really that this is how you do it. It's a three-step process. And again, simple, but not easy. It's not easy because we get so easily activated, especially now when everything is stressful. We just lived through a pandemic. So our nervous systems are just jacked up when we get up in the morning. (laughs) So it is so easy to just snap because we don't have the capacity to take those moments, which is why I think what's so interesting about the work that you do married with the work that I do is that how do we get to that moment of realization and training and self-reflection and skill building of knowing when to take that pause and I need to take that pause. And I loved that example that you used too, moving from judgments, which you described as creating our own narratives and putting our own stuff on it, And then moving into curiosity, because those two things can actually exist in the same space. And curiosity is really where the juicy stuff is. Yes. And that's where the opportunity to make an impact is, right? Because we don't really know what's going on with a kid. We connect the dots and oftentimes it's wrong, (laughs) the way we've connected them. So unless we start asking them questions, there's no way to know what a student really needs, but also they're not going to share what they really need unless we've built trust. Right. And the way to do that, of course, is like what you said before, is that they need to feel safe and seen first. Yes. yes. Create that culture and then practice those three things. So I would love to hear some more stories. I mean, because what you share with the world is so rich in story and narrative, and we can really learn from all of these things people share. What is a story that you can share about creating safety in the classroom? There's so many stories. My husband always tells me whatever stories come in last is my favorite (laughs) because you can can never pick a favorite. But they're actually the first story I ever collected was from a young man named Justin. And he was my first because he's the one that designed the sign at the print shop (laughs) that I ended up using for all of the research. And he talks about being a sixth grader in an intensive reading class, having been diagnosed as having a reading disability in a younger grade, being with the same group of boys all the way through, sort of an attack them before they attack you mentality where they armored up, they wouldn't read out loud, they would never raise their hand and answer a question. And you and I know that learning requires risk. 
It's risky to answer a question, offer an opinion, share something. They did not take risks. They were risk averse. Therefore, they were not growing in reading. They were just kind of stuck. So he talked about this teacher, Mrs. Downey, who had these two guinea pigs in her classroom, Lenny and George, and she would let him go back and read out loud to the guinea pigs and just kind of stand close enough to hear. So of course, educators, we know she was assessing, right? And then started to just slowly encourage him to take these risks. And he said one of the things he remembers about her was there was no teasing. There was no making fun. And when the boys would say, oh, Miss Downey, we're just playing, she would say, we don't play like that in here. And she made this big deal about growth. It was never the highest score. It was never performance. It was effort and growth. And I think from that story, I started to see a culture is really what we celebrate and what we tolerate. And because of what she celebrated and what she refused to tolerate, it became this really safe space. And he started to take risks and he started to grow. And I just love that simple story because teachers are so brilliant (laughs) to think that I need to assess this kid in reading. How can I do it in a way where it's not threatening, where he's enjoying it, you know, to go back and say, go read out loud to these guinea pigs and then stand close enough to hear. It's just brilliant. Teachers are brilliant. And I think that's something that as a profession too, speaking generally, we forget because of all of the stuff that keeps getting thrown our way. There is incredible talent. These teachers are some of the smartest, most creative and innovative people in the world. They, they set the foundation for every other career you have to be. Otherwise, you know, what are you doing? And uh, yes, can we just take a moment and celebrate that? <laughs> All right. I talked to a young man named Ethan at a college campus, and he talked about playing volleyball on the fourth grade playground, and the boys would try to spike the ball real hard, and people were getting hurt, and everybody quit. And I thought, well, I would have just taken that ball away. But his teacher, Mr. Cribbs, bet them 15 extra minutes of recess. They couldn't keep the ball going across the net 100 times. But the caveat was everyone had to touch the ball at least once. And he learned this super powerful lesson about collaboration and why that's more fun than winning from this recess issue. I mean, teachers are amazing problem solvers. So smart. Incredible. And I do just want a moment to just honor that. And I'm just loving every story that you're, each one you're right is is better than the next. I just want more stories. And I kind of want to go on, continue on this theme of just what you kind of laid out at the beginning of safe scene and, and stretched. Can you share an example of how a teacher creates a culture of being seen? For so many teachers, it starts with identifying strengths. And I know we are tempted in education because of accountability measures and and all of the things to focus on kids' deficits. And for me, like in Mrs. Russell's first grade class, if she had been all day trying to fill my deficit, I would have been so defeated. But the teachers who find a way to leverage strengths are the ones who really help students feel seen. And there's also a sense of, we know, confidence that comes from becoming more competent But that's a circle because as we become more confident, we take risks and become more competent. So I think that's where this scene comes in. It's who is this kid and how do I love and accept them just as they are, but also see their potential, which Mm -hmm. comes from understanding their strengths. Absolutely. And that potential is something they don't usually see themselves. Almost always. They didn't know. 
so many kids say, I just thought I wasn't a math kid, or I just thought I wasn't good at math. And then I had this teacher who taught in a way that helped me see that I actually had some skill (laughs) as a mathematician. I talked to a woman just a couple of weeks ago who ended up being a math major in college and an engineer. And up until 10th grade thought she was terrible at math. In the research that I've done with mindset and, and, and really understanding how we form beliefs about ourselves, you know, this happens really early on in our formative years. You know, by eight years old, you kind of have your belief structure about who you think you are at that point based on the things that have gone around you and the meaning that you've created, you know, in relation to yourself, right? So those are limiting beliefs carry through to your adulthood and really prevent you from doing the things that you might actually excel at. And so it's so important as a teacher of young children, especially to open doors and say, you know, this limiting belief, I don't see that. I see this limitless opportunity for you just so they can shift a little bit of of their identity. Yes. Or even just showing them like a scientist can be a young woman of color. You know, just even those kinds of things to say, this is what a scientist looks like. It looks like all different kinds of people. You know, there are so many students who talk about teachers doing things like that. Yeah. And being seen as essential for feeling like a valued member in that classroom. To feel like you belong in a community of learners is everything. Yeah, it really is everything. Okay, so now I want to know more about stretched. I would love some examples of stories about how kids can be stretched in the classroom. And stretch comes out as tough love so many times because it's that like gentle pushing. And students, like all humans, are a little resistant to that pushing because the comfort feels really good. And that gentle pushing pushes us outside of what we're comfortable with in terms of of our perceptions in terms of what we believe is possible for us. There was a a man who talked about, and I think I talked about this in the TEDx talk, who talked about his high school math teacher and he had to pass algebra and he had already failed at once and he was so sure that he just wasn't going to make it. And this teacher taught him, all you have to do is show up every day, do the homework problems, go over your notes, prepare for the quiz the next day. They had a daily quiz at the beginning of class And he started doing that and he started to make gains and he started to understand algebra. And it's just sort of that one step at a time. All you have to focus on is this lesson, this day, this little piece of this challenging curriculum. He said, before long, I was helping other students. I ended up with an A in algebra, went on to take more advanced math. It's those little, it's support plus high expectations. Yeah. It's just beautiful, you know, just kind of marinating (laughs) all of these beautiful stories. And I don't know that we often take the time when we're in it, right, to reflect on this impact because often we are bombarded with expectations of test scores and graduation rates. But you didn't talk about that at all. No one. And I think I'm over 600 stories now in the collection. No one has ever mentioned test scores. They've mentioned graduating, but it's always connected to a teacher who somehow changed their trajectory. Like they weren't on track to graduate or they were ready to drop out and something a teacher said or did shifted that for them. But beyond that, all of these things that we measure are not that important long-term to our students. 
But the beauty of what I get to do is sort of take this bird's eye view, spend all these hours out at the park, which teachers could never do, talking to people and then saying, this may not be your student, but there's a student who talks about you this way. And the most intense military men have cried talking to me about their teachers. There's some emotion when people start to tell these stories. It's, it's a mixture of joy and gratitude and love. And often someone will say, she didn't have to do that for me, or he didn't have to go out of his way, went above and beyond. It's discretionary effort. And when we give people discretionary effort, they feel worthy of our time and effort. And a kid who feels worthy makes better decisions for themselves, for people around them, for their future. It's just those small things that say to kids, you're important. Yes, it's so true. And I think because it's sometimes so easy to forget, even just going to your website, John Talking Chances, and just taking a look at those stories there can be a nice reminder of the impact that you're having. Because like you said, we don't know. <laughs> we'll never know the impact that we have unless we're fortunate enough to do work like you're doing. And that's even maybe, right? We, we might right. not know because that's it's uh, generational. Right. And even for me, you know, I taught for 15 years and then I was a school administrator. I don't always hear from my former students, sometimes on social media or I'll run into one somewhere. But even for me, it's affirming because I think, oh gosh, you know, there are kids out there who were impacted by just care and kindness in my classroom. And then it's ripples, you know, because that impact influences the way they parent or whatever career they do, or just the kind of the way they go through the world. Sure. Well, even the example of the story you told with the cookies in, in home ec class, you know, because that kid had clean clothes and food completely changed the trajectory of not just his life, but if he decided to have children and those children after him, you know, what we're doing is we're planting seeds that we'll never actually see the fruit of. And, and to me, that's so, that's exciting. This is the stuff that gets me really emotional too. It's, it's part of what I believe is our civic duty is just as members of the human race of elevating humanity, you know, giving in a way that makes the world better than how we left it. And in doing so, I have to put this caveat in there, doing that well means also taking care of yourself. So you have the ability to give what you do give. And that's just a beautiful legacy that we get to create as teachers and educators. It definitely is. And that, and that man, Marcus, who happened to be working with me in the food bank, was working there because Ms. Pope passed away. And he does that in her honor every week, which gets me. I'm like, wow, to be honored like that by a student is such a big deal. And, you know, she's gone, but now he's impacting other lives in memory of her. It's a beautiful legacy. You're right, Jen. Yeah. And we are fortunate if we get a taste of what that might be like, but it's also, there's beauty in knowing that it's happening, even though we might not see it. Yeah. And I hope it makes teachers proud of their profession. Yes. You know, even if it's not your student or your story, you can know that that's the profession that you work in that's making this kind of impact on the world. And it's funny because when I talk to people who are jumping sort of on that crazy teacher shaming, blaming political bandwagon, I will ask about their favorite teachers and they will say, oh, I'm not talking about those teachers. 
it's this weird, like generalized notion of what a teacher is, but they can't tell me any teacher they know who actually, and if you ask them about their favorite teachers, they will have the same kind of stories as all of the other people I talk to. So I hope that this gives them, like you said, some affirmation and a sense of pride to know that this is our profession who changes the trajectory of students' lives, who who has this life-shaping long-term impact. Yeah, and really changes the trajectory of the world. I mean, this is what we're doing. We are world changers here. And this isn't just an exaggeration. I, I really believe that. This, this is not a hyperbole. We are world changers. And what an interesting way to talk to somebody who maybe is activated in that teacher shaming and blaming place is again, going back to get rid of, get rid of the judgment and get curious. Who was your favorite teacher? And then all of a sudden, how that conversation changes is pretty remarkable as you described. Definitely. And anytime I think we pause and we ponder, we take a breath before reacting and just ask a question. Is a much more power? I mean, you know, you're the empowered educator. It's a much more powerful place to be. Yeah, because we are not abdicating our power to the person standing in front of us who's activating us. We was activating us. We get to actually stand <laughs> where our feet are and come from a place of compassion. And that's really what part of this is about too. It's just beautiful. And, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm really thinking here, Julie, everything that you're saying, you know, safe, seen, stretched, you know, if we took that model and now I'm thinking about my qualitative work, <laughs> if we take this model, right, and we move it up to teacher culture, it is truly the same and creating spaces for administrators themselves to understand that teachers need to be safe and seen and stretched in order to survive and in order to thrive in this environment. You know, you want to create spaces for students that can't happen in a vacuum. It's true. And we teach from who we are. And so much of our teaching happens in the context and the culture of the school in which we teach. And when I talk to teachers who are like you do, thinking about whether to stay or whether to go, it's often their relationship with a leader that tips the scale one way or the other. And I talked to a former grad student who was one of the best teachers I know not too long ago, and she was deciding to go. And she said, it's not that teaching got harder, it's that it became the wrong kind of hard. So I wonder for us as leaders, how do we help it not be the wrong kind of hard, but the right kind of stretched? Yes, that's some of the questioning that I do because that allows for everybody to feel safe, seen, stretched. So we can all just do this beautiful work together and foster all of this learning and potential and growth and expansion and truly making generational change. That's ultimately what we want to do. It's not only what creates better outcomes for kids, but it's what creates more satisfaction for us. It's the same. Yeah. And we are also worthy of satisfaction. Yes. And our own better outcomes for sure. Oh, so good. Yes. So I want to just take a moment to ask you the question I ask everybody, which is so important because when we share our dreams with the world and we say them out loud, that's one step closer to making them a reality. So what is your dream for the future of education? Oh, my dream is that the policies and all of the things that get laid upon teachers will be decided based on people thinking about their best teachers. And I challenge my legislators to do this here in North Carolina all the time. 
before you send something out, would it help or hinder your best teacher? And let's not continue putting out policies that actually hinder impact and satisfaction. Let's give teachers some autonomy. <laughs> let's affirm the importance of this work through compensation and working conditions and all of those things. So um, I know that's a big ask, but my dream is just that as a profession, we see a brighter future based on the kinds of things that happen through legislators, through our district administrators, school administrators. Yes. And dreams have to be big and stretchy. And stretchy. Yes. (laughs) We need a big stretchy dream. Yes. I love it. And that is a beautiful dream. And I think that even just having conversations like this pushes the needle forward on the way to making those better outcomes for everybody. So thank you so much for your time and your talents and for sharing them with me and the folks listening. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Jen. Thank you for the way you support teachers and teacher well-being. I'm so grateful for you. Mm, I am grateful for you. And before we go, I need you to share if you can, how can people get in touch with you? And is there something, an easy way for them to know about your work and everything will be in the podcast notes, but please share. How can we work with you or know more about you? The Chalk and Chances website is the best way to find me. There's You can contact me through the website. If you need an affirming, inspiring story, one goes up every Friday. So check those out. There's some resources there as well, but that's the best place. Fantastic. Thank you again. I hope that this is just the beginning of our conversations together because I just feel like there's more here. We could talk for days, Jen, for sure. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to leave a review. And I cannot wait to see you next time on Take Notes. Incredible, right? Together, we can revolutionize the face of education. It's all possible, and it's all here for you right now. Let's keep the conversation going at Empowered Educator Faculty Room on Facebook.